Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. turn in your Bibles or open up your Bible app or the Q Bible that's in front of you, if you would turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 31 is where our text will be today. So join with me there. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, he showed, him the, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had, get, when he had said this, he breathed on them, And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, then they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, then they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, we gather again on this, the first day of the week. We gather to hear your word. And as we hear it, O Lord, may it not just pass by our ears, but may it take root in our hearts, in our very souls, so that we would not just be hearers of your word but that we would be doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, uh, I was sitting through a Good Friday worship service. My friend Steve was leading worship, 
and he was he had a sermon part of this service. It was one where it was not like the Tenebrae where we do it here where the lights go down and we read the seven last words, but in the course of that ser- sermon, he was reading the seven last words, and as he got to it, he sort of stopped and he looked at us. He said, you know, the best way to describe this day It is the worst day in the disciples' lives. They followed Jesus, their leader, for three years, and on this day they watched it all come to an end. It was absolutely the worst day. And then he asked this question, he said, are we any better off now than they were then? And then he started to go through this litany of things, talking about what he was reading in the headlines, They were fighting a global war on terrorism. We're mired in an economic crisis caused by the the housing bubble. We're unkind political rhetoric. At the school board in our community, there was an us versus them mentality about rezoning school districts. There were storms, there were floods, and he went on to list a whole other thing, a whole seeming other things. And the more he talked, I got to tell you, the room seemed to just get darker. It seemed to get drearier. And at some point I wanted to cry out, just stop. Just make it stop. Seriously, is there any good news on this day for us? I mean, it's right. That's why we come to church, right? We come for good news. And I also wanted to argue and say, you know, Christ died for this, this, this litany of junk you've just poured out in front of us. But that's the whole point, Right? That's the whole point of helping us understand what really happened on Golgotha. What really happened and what the joy of the empty tomb is. For many of us, we come to church on Palm Sunday, we see Jesus ride in on a donkey and it's triumphant. And then we don't come back again until Easter Sunday when everything is full and exciting. We see the, hear the glorious music. We see the flowers. We're dressed in our Easter best. The sanctuary is full like it was last week all the way to the back. I mean, last week there were 808 people in this room. The energy was electric. When you said the affirmation of faith, when you prayed, the room couldn't contain your voices. I mean, that's Easter. There's this joy of being able to say, the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. But do we really grasp the true meaning of the empty tomb, the true meaning of Easter. It's not just a mark in time. I mean, we talked about this this morning and this week. We, you know, we always think about this in terms of the church, that the Sunday after Easter, they call it low Sunday because it's going to have low attendance. Hey, you came back. I'm so thankful you came back. There's more of you here than I would have thought. I am so happy. No, we're not 808, but we're here. We're celebrating the resurrection. This holy event which defines our faith, that separates us, that helps us see that there's more to life than just rinse and repeat day in and day out. So the text that I just read from John, it picks up right where we left off last week. Remember last week, Mary and Peter and John had raced to the tomb. They had found it empty, and then they raced back to the disciples to tell them what they saw. The tomb is empty. Mary comes in and she says, I've seen the risen Lord. He called me by name. And today we pick up right where it left off. It's now evening on that Easter day. 
Let me tell you what happens in clergy households on Easter afternoon. After that nap, there's a light snack called supper, and then there's the after-supper nap that starts about 6.30 or 7 and lasts until 9 the next morning. You got it. Good. Okay. So anyway, so that's what happens in our households. But on this day, on this Easter, they're in the upper room. The disciples are gathered together. They're afraid. They've locked the doors. They're hiding in fear. And Jesus visits them to assuage their fears. And then we read a little further in the text. A week passes and they're still in the upper room. They're still surrounded by the walls of safety in their cocoon, their sanctuary, if they will. They've got the door shut to keep the world out because they're afraid. Thomas is still, he still has his doubts. He's, he's made that bold statement. I won't believe until I see the wounds in myself and I get to touch them. And this is where the story takes a turn. Jesus appears again. And as we start to look at these two appearance narratives, what we begin to see is that Jesus comes to the disciples in their time of need and he brings peace with them. And then as we read a little further in John, John sort of encapsulates why this is all important so that we, future believers, might have hope and assurance of the resurrection and what it means for our lives. So it started this idea of the appearance. I mean, one of the neatest things about this text is notice that Jesus appears to the disciples not once, but twice. They're afraid, and still he comes to them through locked doors. He comes to them to assuage their fears, to squelch Thomas's doubt. In both cases, he comes because of his fear and doubt. I mean, think about his ministry with us. I mean, God sent Jesus to the earth to show us the way to live, what God hoped and desired for each and every one of us. His whole ministry was about coming to people. I mean, Jesus would like for us to meet him halfway, but he's willing to go all the way to us if necessary. I mean, think about his disciples. When he called the disciples, he didn't just, you know, take a piece of paper and tack it up on the wall that said, you know, hey, wanted, you know, 12 people to walk around with me for three years and I'll teach them. He went to them by name and he said, come, follow me. He went straight up to them in their places of work, where they were, and told them to come follow me. He goes to Lazarus' house when he hears word that he is dying. He could have stayed right where he was. We see examples in scripture that he's got the power to cast out demons. He's got the power to heal the sick. He's got the power to raise the dead from anywhere in the world. So he could have stayed, but what did he do? He went to Lazarus' house. What did he do with the woman at the well? He went right up to her, engaged in a conversation with her, even though no one else would be within five feet of her. He was in her space, talking to her. When he sent the disciples out across the lake and he saw that they were in a storm, what did he do? He could have calmed the waters from there on the shore, but instead he walked across the water and climbed into the boat with them. Jesus comes to us in our hour of need. Through the locked doors, he came to the disciples. Through their fear and their doubt, he came to them. When we sort of wall ourselves off from the world, we are not alone. God is right there with us. That's what we draw from this. God is as close as our very next breath. 
That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power. So no matter what our worries are, no matter what our pains, no matter our losses, no matter our fears, our doubts, Jesus comes to us in our time of need, just as he did with the 12 in that upper room. Resurrection proves us we are not alone. God is with us. Thanks be to God. But notice what else happens in this passage. When he comes in the room, what does he say? He says, peace be with you. In this text, it records, he says these words three different times. Peace be with you. This is significant. It's not a casual greeting. It's not just, oh, hey, I'm over here. It's an acknowledgement of their fear and a gift that he is offering to them, this gift of peace. And so he opens with it to settle the spiritual turbulence in their hearts. Peace be with you. Now, what did he mean by that? If we, if we turn back in the Bible a handful of pages and we go back to somewhere around John chapter 14, he says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He's saying, I know that you've got things in here you're worried about. You've got things in here that you're worried about. But let them go because I'm right here with you. I want to show you a more excellent way. I want to show you how to be calm. I offer you this best gift, this sense of peace and resolution of the warring that's within your soul, the struggle that's within your heart. So when he says those words, peace be with you, there's an assurance for the disciples that not only are they not alone, that he's right there with them, but that they can stand up to fear and doubt, that they can fling open the doors, they can unlock the doors of the upper room and go out into the world and face whatever may come because God is right beside them every step of the way. So I think about that, and I thought about that this week. What comes to mind is the old Bill Gaither hymn, He Lives, Because He Lives. You know, the refrain of that is, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. Because he lives, he holds the future, and life is worth living, all because he lives. See, that's the resurrection power. That's Jesus coming into the room, even when the doors were locked, and saying, peace be with you. And so as resurrection people, we come back here week in and week out to be reminded of that gift to remind of that gift of peace so that we can then leave this place and share that gift with the world. That we don't have to be shrinking in fear, but that we can live and celebrate the joy of life. And that's really what John was getting at at that, that last part of this gospel in verse 30. You think all the way back to John 1.1, 1, 1, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And nothing that is created was created without God. And later in John 3, 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes will have life everlasting. Not just life, but life everlasting. The best life. So when he gets to verse 30 in chapter 20, he says, I've written all this down so that you might believe and that you might have a wonderful life. You might have life everlasting. See, John wants the reader, that's us, those of us that have inherited this story, wants us to know that God sent his son to us 
in our hour of need that no matter what our darkness might be, whether it's figurative or literal or emotional or relational or metaphorical, or whether we are walled off from the world in fear and doubt, that we are not alone. That Christ is with us and Christ brings peace to our hearts, a peace greater than anything that we can fathom. And in that, that there is a greater life in him. So then if we're armed with this good news, then we must be just like John suggested, going forth into the world so that not only that we believe, but that we share that with others. Others that are experiencing darkness, others that are wondering if the cross had the final say, if the news cycle is really all there is to life. I mean, that's what we're trying to do around here. That's why our mission statement is to follow Jesus and to make disciples for the transformation of the world. It's this idea that we are to carry this joy, this presence, this peace out into the world with us. We start looking at that from our faith formation, how we're trying to grow closer to Jesus, learning to live and to love just like Jesus did. But to not only do that, but then to go out and to do it with our hands and our feet. So our missions committee doesn't just give money to agencies that do good work. They give money to agencies that provide a deep impact in our community. And hopefully in ways that you and I can come alongside our financial resources so that our hands-on resources can continue making that impact, continue shining the light, continue bringing peace to the world around us. Let's be honest, if we know where to look, we can find the darkness. I mean, we can look around us. If we really want to tune our heart to find the darkness, it's easy to find the negative. But if we think about this, we can look in the paper. I mean, there's Ukraine. There's the high gas prices. There's inflation's impact on those in our community that are suffering, not just ourselves. There's grief. There's loss. There's, mental, there's a mental health crisis. There's darkness all around the corners, but it's our job to carry the light of Christ into that darkness and to chase it away. We know people that maybe are locked away in fear, in doubt, in anxiety. Maybe that describes you to this day. But here's the good news. We're in the Easter season. Easter was not just one day. It's a whole season. It's, it's a whole life cycle. It's a lifestyle, if you will. Where each and every day we arise and realize that because he lives, we can face the day. Because the tomb was empty, because of all the glory that we celebrated last week, that we can come back here this week and recharge our batteries to go forth into the world and be reminded that Christ is with us. That Christ gives his peace to us so that we can go into the world and give that peace to others as faithful followers. So let us bask in that glory of the resurrection. Let us bask in that light of the empty tomb. Let us bask in the fact that even when we have fear and doubt that Christ comes to us and gives us peace and challenges us to go forth to live the life that Christ promised in that peace. To give that gift to each and every one of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.